ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. So, Norman, I have an important and very relevant question to ask you. Oh, it's not another quiz on anatomical features, is it? God, <laughs> no, tell me it's not. No, 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 it's another, it's another deranged conversation starter. What breed of dog would you say that you are? Really? Um, I would say probably a sheepdog. <laughs> I've been a senior manager in the ABC in the past and you know, herding kangaroos, herding sheep, you know, <laughs> nipping at their heels, barking at them, you know. A sheepdog. What about you? What do you think you are? Oh, I think I'm a type of sheepdog. I think I'm a border collie. Well, specifically like my dog Rigby. I'm energetic. I'm eager to please. I have a reputation for being smart, but I'm actually can be massively dumb sometimes. But you're not barking. Not right now. I am barking mad at other times though. Oh, right. Okay. Well, I'm glad I haven't seen that. Well, we better get on with CoronaCast, a show all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor coming to you from Jagera and Turrbal land. And I'm physician and journalist Dr. Norman Swan coming to you from Gadigal land. So Norman, a feature of CoronaCast for probably the first two years of the pandemic was that we did a lot of answering people's questions. We still do that, but we sort of haven't been, haven't been sort of giving you the questions word for word and then you answering them. Uh, but we are still getting a lot of questions from listeners. And I thought today we could revisit our roots and go back to answering some good old listener questions. What do you say? I think that's a great idea. And just to remind people, um, going back all those days to the, all those years to the beginning of the pandemic, between Chronicast starting in March uh, to 2020, and I think it was June or early July 2020, we got 200,000 questions. Yeah, big shout out to the team who waded through those questions and helped us um, corral the ones that were most relevant, and they're still doing it, actually. So here are some of the questions that people have been submitting to us recently. And the first of these questions I want to ask you, Norman, is actually also going back to CoronaCast's roots because it's a question about a topic that was really popular in the beginning of the pandemic, which was how Sweden was managing the pandemic. They took a slightly different route to the way other people did. And this listener's asking, how did they fare now compared to the rest of the world, given that they took quite a different uh, tack at the beginning of the pandemic? Yeah, they, did, they didn't have compulsory lockdowns, but they did give advice about social distancing and keeping apart, which reportedly a significant section of the Swedish community did take notice of and were very careful about. But yeah, there were young people out and about and at bars and so on, and we covered that. Um, so there's been a commission of inquiry in Sweden looking at the, the response to the pandemic, and they had quite a large number of excess deaths in the first year of the pandemic. Um, but excess deaths have been lower than average, and it's not clear why, in Sweden than in other countries around the world since then. And what the commission of inquiry did, or what this report um, into the Swedish response to the pandemic said was that they should have been more active in terms of their response, a bit more restrictive in terms of the response in the first year to save the, you know, many of those lives that would have other, that were otherwise lost. So on balance, are they, it feels really callous to be talking about this. We're talking about people who've died, but on balance, the number of excess deaths over that time, is it higher or lower than other comparable countries? If you take out the first year since then, uh, since the pandemic, apparently, according to this report, the number of excess deaths are lower than other countries. That's really interesting. So did they do the wrong thing then in in doing things a bit differently? Well, there are many thousands of Swedes who would otherwise be alive today if they had taken a more strict approach towards lockdown in the first year of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, why they've got a lower 
um, excess death or excess mortality is not entirely clear. And another question from someone who, when I first saw this, I thought it was a kids these days sort of question. But um, when we dug a little deeper, we found that there could be something to it. So someone has written in saying, aside from the emotional, social and psychological impact of the pandemic on teenagers, is there any evidence on how the virus has affected brain function in young people who may have had it? This person teaches first year university students and their colleagues and they have noticed a really big difference in student capacity to take on new information. Uh, they are on their phones all the time. They're wondering if there's more to it than just societal malaise and thinking maybe it could have something to do with the brain fog trait that we sort of have heard a lot about with long COVID. Well, there has been a review published of studies around the world, you know, bringing together the studies from around the world into just this issue in a young person's population, usually up to about the age of 19 or 20 in this study. I think 19 is the, is the top. And what they're showing is that there is um, a, a measurable difference in terms of brain function in a proportion of children and young people who've had COVID-19. And the estimates vary. Um, there are some estimates that it's as much as 17 or 18 percent of kids are getting measurable neurological symptoms or neurological symptoms are the commonest symptoms that they're, that they're getting. Um, some other studies have said it's more like between 2 and 8%, which is still a significant number. But there's no question that uh, in the paediatric and young person population, there are extended symptoms for weeks and months after the infection with COVID-19. So it's real. And it's interesting that, they're, that people are noticing that in the educational environment. Um, but there's not a lot of data on, you know, specifically the 20, 21, 22 age group, but quite a lot up to the age of 19. And we'll have a link to that study um, on the CoronaCast website. So how long are these symptoms? You said days and weeks. So it's not necessarily a permanent thing, but it may be a thing where people are getting infected regularly. There's always going to be a proportion of the student population who is suffering from this at any one time. That part is not that clear, just how long it's going on. And we've talked about long COVID before and just the variable uh, definitions um, and, and, and specificity of symptoms as well. Um, but but we're, we're talking about kids who are getting this for months for a lot of people, the, these symptoms do go away eventually, but they can be there for quite a considerable period of time. Um, look, I think that the to take reassurance, you'd probably go down to the 2 to 8%, the, the low estimate here. That's probably the more reliable one because it tends to fit more with what they've noticed in adult populations rather than the 17 or 18% that some of the other studies have noticed. So perhaps some of it is the societal side of things, like because there has been such big shifts in how we deliver education and the sorts of lifestyles that young people have, but it could also be this physiological thing as well. Well, I, I have actually looked at this whole thing about screens and brains um, recently, and you've just got to be a little bit careful about a moral panic over screens. Do you really think that having, look, for example, is it just the screen? So the fact that you've got a mobile phone and you're looking at a screen, well, does anybody really think that looking at a blank screen is going to change your brain? Well, no. Then it's a question of what you're looking at and how early in life you've started looking at these screens. And what the evidence shows is that if you're young, and I'm talking about uh, earlier in childhood, and you look at screens with highly edited, short-framed um, videos. So for example, where the, the, the video changes every second or so, 
um, that does do things to the brain which are not good in terms of neurological development. So if you look at Sesame Street or Play School, there are very few edits there. The camera just sits on the one image, and it's this rapidly changing image that seems to be the problem and may well just have changed the brains of a generation because of what they've watched on their screens rather than the fact they're on their phones all the time. And you can hear more about that on Norman's and my other podcast, which is called The Health Report. And if you want to ask more questions about coronavirus, you still can do it, not via our website, but if by looking in the show notes for this episode, we'll put the link in there. Indeed. So we're talking about a different pandemic pandemic of mobile phones. Look, I I can't say that I'm mad about that one. I really love my phone a lot. Me too. (laughs) That's all we've got time for this week, but we'll see you again next week. See you then. Hey there, I'm Beverly Wang. And I'm Benjamin Law. We're the hosts of the ABC podcast, Stop Everything, a show about how everything in your feed reflects and affects the world with big name interviews that go deep and ask, Why did celebrity chef Alison Roman agree to that interview with Z-Way? It's really the only thing that I regret in my whole life, probably. <laughs> also, how rotted is Twitter nowadays? Pretty rotted. Mm. Why did jury duties Ronald Gladden take the fall for James Marsden's giant poo. This guy just genuinely was like embarrassed and he said, hey man, like, can you do me a solid? And why is everyone in love with Pedro Pascal? Yeah, I think that one is pretty obvious. We don't need to explain that. Yeah, true. Self-evident. But we're happy to talk about it nonetheless. These are all real stories. Stop everything. We explain. We analyze. And we often laugh at what the hell is happening in our crazy, crazy world. You can find Stop Everything on the ABC Listen app.